0: So uh, my name's Peter, I'm not a mum, in case you didn't know. (laughs) I have a mum, I'm married to a mum and I know lots of mums. I have massive respect for mums and I want to share something today that I think will uh, in the end honour mums but probably the first three quarters of it I think is for all of us and you can uh, see if you can pick up where I'm heading with this thing today. The Onion is a satirical uh, online newspaper and they published this news article called Unambitious loser with happy, fulfilling life still lives in hometown. Let me read you a, a, a good portion of this article. Long-time acquaintances confirmed to reporters this week that local man Michael Husmer, an, ambi- an unambitious 29 year old loser who leads an enjoyable and fulfilling life still lives in his hometown and has no desire to leave. Claiming that the aimless slouch has never resided more than two hours from his parents and still hangs out with friends from high school. Sources close to Husma reported that the man who has meaningful, lasting personal relationships and a healthy work-life balance is an unmotivated washout who's perfectly comfortable being a nobody for the rest of his life. I've known Mike my whole life and he's a good guy, but it's pretty pathetic that he's still living on the same street he grew up on and experiencing a deep sense of personal satisfaction, (laughs) childhood friend David Gorman said of the unaspiring, completely gratified do-nothing. As soon as Mike graduated from college, he moved back home and started working at a local insurance firm. Now he's nearly 30 years old, living in the exact same town he was born in, working at the same small-time job, and is extremely contented in all aspects of his home and professional lives. It's really sad, this guy said. (laughs) I don't know how anyone could let themselves end up like that, Gorman continued, but he seems perfectly fine, being nothing more than a genuinely happy deadbeat for the rest of his life. Former high school classmates confirm that Husma has seemingly few aspirations in life, citing occasional depressing run-ins with the personally content townie during visits back home, as well as embarrassing Facebook photos in which the smiling dud appears alongside family members whom he sees regularly and appreciates and enjoys close, long-lasting relationships with. Additionally, pointing to the intimate, enduring connections he's developed with his wife, parents, siblings and neighbours, sources reported that husband's life is pretty humiliating on multiple levels. Almost done. In particular, those familiar with the pitiful man who was able to afford a comfortable lifestyle without going into debt confirmed that he resides just two blocks from the home he grew up in, miles away from anything worthwhile, like high-priced bars and clubs. In fact, sources stated that the pathetic loafer has never had any interest in moving to even a nearby major city, despite the fact that he has nothing better to do than sit around all day being an involved member of his community and using his ample free time to follow pursuits that give him genuine pleasure. You get where this is going, right? Here's a quote from uh, a high school friend. I honestly don't get Mike. Does he even want to get out of that backwater town and try to make something of himself? Or does he want to just waste his time feeling pleased with the pace and content of his content of his life and enjoying his existence? High school friend Caitlin C. said of the man who gets eight hours sleep per night and has time after work to see his loved ones and take care of his health. Everyone else, she says, left Candom as soon as possible and is consumed by a deep sense of apprehension about getting ahead. But he's still hanging around the same places from high school, focusing on the things that matter most to him and existing as a relaxed, easygoing person who's fun to be around. I can't imagine anything sadder than that, she says. You get the point? We live in a world where everything's awesome, or at least it needs to be. Nothing's ordinary anymore. Ordinary is uncool, routine is uncool. And even contentment is uncool. Somehow as a culture, we've absorbed this thing where everyone always has to be reaching higher. I mean, movies like the Lego movie, what are they telling you most of the time? Most of the kind of hit movies are like there's some random deadbeat that all of a sudden ends up saving the world. It's not enough to just do what Michael Husner was doing, fictitious Michael Husmer living out a life and putting in the strokes over the long haul. Everything always has to be more significant and successful. Listen to uh, Rod Dreher, an American writer and editor. He says this: "Everydayness is my problem. It's easy to think about what you were doing wartime, or if a hurricane blows through, or if you spent a month in Paris, or if your guy wins the election, or if you won the lottery, or bought that thing that you really wanted. It's a lot more difficult to figure out how you're going to get through today without despair." It it probably sounds a little depressing, but there's a little bit of that in that, right? I mean, Rod's kind of onto something there. It's like it's ordinary, everyday stuff that can be a real grind. And that's kind of culture a bit, right? We always want to be the exceptional. We want to be the people that stand out. Well, what about the church? What happened to faithful, old, ordinary in the church? You know, ordinary, the word ordinary means normal. Like a normal order of events. I mean, I use ordinary as an insult sometimes. You just go, that's really ordinary. And, and that's kind of what's happened to ordinary in our culture. It's like ordinary, normal, just cranking it out. It's just kind of lost its shine, isn't it? Because we're world changers, aren't we? <laughs> Anyone remember uh, History Maker by Delirious? Like that was the anthem of a generation, wasn't it? We're all going to be history makers. And most of the people who are singing that are changing nappies, doing washing, going to nine till five jobs, aren't they? And you look at the church and you just think, the church, unfortunately, sometimes becomes a machine that comes up with new fads and strategies and we go on to the next big thing. Uh, Faithfulness, loyalty and the ordinary are not sexy in the church anymore, are they? Everything has to be awesome. And sometimes chasing our dreams can be easier than being in the place that God has put us with the gifts he's given us and cranking out the ordinary. Is that not true? The church itself seems to get really, really motivated by the next big thing. I don't know how many times I've heard people say that a revival's coming to Toowoomba. It happened to me about a month ago, someone came up to me, I told him about a couple of of things we were tracking through at the church and and then he started saying I've got this word for you from God that revival's going to come to Toowoomba and you know what, it might and I think that would be great if it did but sometimes that kind of vibe is like we've got to have the next high point, we've got to have the next big thing and we just forget the kind of Let's just crank it out, you know. I mean, you don't get to be an Olympic swimmer unless you crank out stroke after stroke after stroke in the training field, right? And you get up every morning and you just do the ordinary, the ordinary, the ordinary. And we get influenced, I think, by Hollywood, which puts someone's name in lights and says, look at this amazing, extraordinary person, and they skip out all the years of hard work, all the years of ordinary that happened. You know, you look at some of the big names, if you can put it that way, I don't think it even makes sense to call them big names, they're the big names in Christendom, you know, like a pretty big name in the moment is Tim Keller. Well, what's Tim done? Well, he's just probably cranked out good stuff day after day. He stayed faithful to God year after year, and it's probably in his late 50s that he actually became known. At the end of maybe 20 or 30 years, I don't know, at the end of probably 20 or 30 years of just cranking out the ordinary, right? We don't talk that much about living a quiet life, an ordinary life anymore. I mean, how many mission statements for churches have got this scripture kind of built into them? Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers through Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more and to aspire, listen to this, to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. <laughs> that, a really good place to do that is on Facebook. People mind their own affairs really well on Facebook. And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. I mean that... It's not a very inspiring mission statement, right? Live quietly and mind your own affairs. (laughs) And this one from 1 Timothy 2. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that that we may lead, listen to this, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now some of you are sitting there and you're just going, cool, so I can just be comfortable. Well, you can't do that either (laughs) because this is not about a comfort thing, right? Comfort is about having everything your way. Contentment is about accepting the circumstance and the circumstances in which God's providence has placed you. So you've got a skill set, you've got a gifting set, you've got a specific calling for you, you're really happy with that, you're not discontented trying to reach some kind of hero status and you're just cranking that out as hard as you can and as well as you can. And some people God calls to be content in poverty. Some people God calls to be content in the middle class. Which might be harder. It might be harder to be content in the middle class. I've been reading a little bit of stuff this week by this lady, Tish Harrison Warren. She's a a priest in the Anglican Church in North America. And um, she writes a bunch of stuff and she's an editor of uh, some stuff. Uh, She recalls a college friend who dedicated his life to teaching in the most at-risk schools. She says this, After a nervous breakdown he moved back to his hometown working as a waiter. Gradually he recovered. When he had landed back home weary and discouraged, we talked about what had gone wrong. We had gone to a top college where people achieved big things. They wrote books and started non-profits. We told again and again that we'd been world changers. We were part of a young Christian movement that encouraged us to live bold, meaningful lives of discipleship, which baptised this world-changing impetus as the way to really follow after Jesus. We were challenged to impact and serve the world in radical ways, but we never learned how to be an average person living out an average life in a beautiful way. Listen to this. A prominent new monasticism community house had a sign on the wall that famously read, everyone wants a revolution, no one wants to do the dishes. My life is really rich in dirty dishes and nappies these days and really short in revolutions. I go to a church full of older people who live pretty normal middle-class lives in nice middle-class houses. But I've really come to appreciate this community, to see their lifetimes of sturdy faithfulness to Jesus, their commitment to prayer and the tangible, beautiful generosity that they show those around them in unimpressive, unmarketable, unrevolutionary ways. And each week we average sinners and boring saints gather around ordinary bread and wine and Christ himself is there with us. Listen to what she goes on to say. But I've come to the point where I'm not sure anymore just about what God counts as radical. And I suspect that for me, getting up and doing the dishes when I'm short on sleep and patience is far more costly and necessitates more of a revolution in my heart than some of the more outwardly risky ways I've lived in the past. And so this is what I need now, the courage to face an ordinary day, An afternoon with a colicky baby where I'm probably going to snap at my two-year-old and get annoyed with my noisy neighbor without despair. The bravery it takes to believe that a small life is still a meaningful life and that the grace to know that even when I've done nothing that is powerful or bold or even interesting that the Lord notices me and is fond of me and that that is enough. Beautiful, isn't it? Culture is at war with mums. And, and not in the way that you probably think. You see, we all long to do great things. The problem actually ultimately isn't in the great things, in the fact that we long to do something great. The problem is how we define what great is. See, culture's at war with mums because what most of what mums do is ordinary. Isn't it? It's ordinary. It's unseen. I mean, in our culture... Greatness is defined as something that's large, notable and something that you do as fast as you can. But we all know that most things in life are marathons and not sprints, right? You don't have a good marriage by running a sprint, right? You can't do that in 10 seconds, you can't do it in 10 minutes, you can't even do it in 10 days, maybe you can't even do it in 10 years... Think about relationships, a vocation, a skill that you want to learn, church life, motherhood. You can't fast forward it. You can't skip any of it. It, Culture saying do something large in a notable way quickly. All of the things I just mentioned are about doing small things slowly over a long period of time. So today, I just want to take the last few moments to pay tribute to mums and their ability to do small things slowly over a long period of time, all right, because I think they're ace at it. Let's start with the small things. Mums amaze me with how they're able to do small things over and over and over. It's amazing. I'm a uh, manual arts teacher by background, and uh, I've made... I I love creating things. I haven't made any furniture for a while, but a bunch of the wooden furniture in our house, I made it. Um, One thing I said I would never make, ever, is a dining room chair or an outdoor chair. You know why? Because every single chair has got the same procedure that you have to do at least four times and sometimes more in one chair and then you multiply that by how many chairs that you want to do. I just can't cut it. I can't cut it with doing the repetitive thing over and over. It just kind of kills me. All right? But I look at Ange and I look at mums and I just think they are just ace at just doing the small things over and over and over and over. And I just go, I don't, how do you do that? Now take my family for example. right? I don't do the washing in our place. All right? I help on occasion but it's not my responsibility and Ange and our clothes are really happy about that. Okay. <laughs> Let's imagine that there are six Sondergelds in the house living together for 13 years and each of these Sondergelds wear a pair of socks a day. Over 13 years, with a little bit of assistance from me, which is negligible, my wife will probably wash and hang out 57,000 socks. 57,000 socks. Over a 13-year period. And we haven't even started talking about where all those socks go, all right? Has anyone ever thought there's some kind of time-space portal? There is some dimension that's filled filled with socks somewhere. I don't know. And we've got one of them. Lots of them. See, mums are guns They're constructing something great by doing small things repetitively. That's the uh, Lego store at Dream World. And that Hulk in the background is seven foot tall and it's made up of a whole bunch of tiny Lego bricks. See, that's what mums do really, really well. They just do brick after brick after brick, and finally there's something grand, but it's not quick, and it's it's small. Here's the second thing, just mentioned it before. Mums do work that is slow. How long does it take to raise a child? How how long does it take to raise a child up into the calling that God has for them? How many times do you need to tell a child that they're loved? How many encouragements are needed? So you don't build a child in 10 minutes. right? And at some level... Uh, Mums never stop being mums. It changes the nature of how they operate as a mum changes but they never stop being mums. How many times do they need to say things like this? You can do it. You got this. You're all over it. Nice work. Good stuff. Well done. Keep going. Try harder. Don't give up. Don't let them talk to you like that. Don't talk to people like that. Don't talk to me like that. Now that's what you can do when you work at it. See, these are all building blocks that are part of who your child is. It's not quick work, but it's important work. It doesn't unfold in minutes, but it unfolds day by day, year by year. Mums are good at doing small things slowly over a long period of time. You know, mums, mother is not your identity. It's a... a, job that you're called to. Alright? So if someone went up to you and said, Who are you? Well, you're not a mum. A, a Mum's not an identity statement. It's a, it's a calling that God's called you into. And I just, as we just mentioned before, how long are you likely to be a mother for? Well, probably for the rest of your days. Probably you'll need to contribute to your children in some way over the long term. Because the job of building your children and setting your children loose on the world it's a long job it's a good job but it's a long job and it's probably not going to be over when uh, they've left home you know raising a child is not something that you can rush think about all of the moments of your parenting of your children you know I don't know whether you notice this but as a, as a mum even broadly, I mean, just t- talking even to dads here, you just, there's stuff in parenting, you just can't rush it. It won't be rushed. Have you noticed that? You might have a moment that you try to rush, but you, in terms of the parenting and the development of your children, I mean, there's probably parents sitting here now, just going, it gets really frustrating sometimes. Why can't you just get that? Like, it's obvious. Everyone can see that. Everyone can see what's going on for you. Everyone can see what you're getting wrong. Why can't you just get it? And that's just testimony at some level that parenting just takes a long time. It just takes a long time. Because it won't move at your pace. It moves at the pace that your child's moving at and how God's moving in their life and how the relationship is going between the two of you. One of my sons hates being rushed, right? Hates it. Now, he's really slow, right? So we're often saying to him, you need to hurry up. Do you know what happens when we tell him he needs to hurry up? He goes slower. That's what he does, all right? You know why? Because he's too busy saying, stop rushing me. He just, he just won't be rushed. You can't parent quickly. You can have quick parenting moments sometimes, but you can't do parenting in general quickly. So what are mums called to do? Well, mums are called to rebel against the world. Mums, don't, don't get sucked into, uh, do big things, notably, as fast as you can. Don't be sucked into that, mums. Do small things slowly over a long period of time. Stick Can I say this? Stick with what you're good at. I think you're good at that and I think it's really significant and really important. I want to say this to you today. Jesus is pleased with mums who do small things slowly over a long period of time. You know why? Because that's what he does. God plays the long game. All right? He just does. He plays the long game all the time. And you see that with Jesus in Mark 12... Verse 41 to 44, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which made a penny, very small. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I want you to hear me today, mums, that when you do something that's small that no one else notices, it doesn't go unnoticed. It's always noticed. Because Jesus is the kind of person that is up to small things all the time over a long period of time, and he notices the small things that you do. Then if you go back uh, back to the Proverbs, you just think for a moment about haste. Does anyone... Does that ring any bells for you? Like, uh, Remember we are talking about small things slowly over a long period of time. You think about doing something quickly. Think about Proverbs, those of you who know it. Is doing something quickly a good thing in the Proverbs? No, it's not. I mean, there's heaps of verses in the Proverbs about haste. Here's one, Proverbs twenty nine twenty. Do you see a man who's hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. I mean, you just go home in the ESV... Look up online the ESV Bible and do a search for the word haste and you'll get like about a dozen hits in Proverbs. Why? Because haste is not usually associated with something good. What's associated with good is patience and being able to do things slowly. And then the whole way through the Scriptures you've got this whole notion of faithfulness. You know, where, where God calls His people... To do things over a long period of time, that's what he does. You shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules and his commandments always. God always plays the long game. I read in a book this morning that um, you know, God promised Abraham that he would inherit the, the promised land. right? Do you know how long it was between when God promised Abraham that he would inherit the promised land and when the second time around they actually went into it? Do you know how long that was? It's 600 years. What am I telling you? God plays the long game. <laughs> he's always playing the long game. And he's in the details and he's doing things slowly, but it always ends up going where he wants it to go. I want to finish with a quote and then I'll, uh, I'll pray for you and we'll be done. The quote here is from uh, Middlemarch, which is a novel by the English author George Eliot, female. Um, the novel set in uh, the fictitious Midlands town of Middlemarch during 1829 to 32, Uh, a a bunch of stories, a large cast of characters covering a whole bunch of themes that were going on at the time and this is how the, the novel concludes. Her finely touched spirit had still its fine issues though they were not widely visible Her full nature, like that of which Cyrus broke the strength, spent itself in channels which had no great name on the earth. But the effect of her being on those around her was incalculably incalculably diffusive. For the growing good of the world, listen to this, is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who live faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Why don't you stand with me? I'll, uh, I'll pray for you. Let's pray. God, you call all of us to do small things slowly over a long period of time. You call us to uh, to push back against the uh, the constant harping of our culture to be extraordinary, and you push back against us, thinking, "Okay, well, we can just be comfortable then." Now, your call for us is to be in the place that you've got us, doing small things slowly over a long period of time, to fulfil every piece of our calling. And God, I thank you so much for, uh, for calling mums to be mums. And God, I pray that you would give them strength and energy and vitality and persistence and patience to handle the ordinary of what it means to be a mum. And not to sit and, and think and long too much for An extraordinary moment, but to be faithful, patient and diligent in the ordinary. And God, at the end of the day, when no one else knows what they've done or what their day has been like or what their night was like. God, let them know that you sit in the corner of the room with them and you watch them. And you watch what they do. You watch every movement. You watch everything that they do. You watch everything that goes unnoticed by the world and you notice it. God, I pray that that would be enough for them. I pray that that would be better than enough. I pray that it would be abundance for them that the God of the universe notices me and notices my small acts of service, love, care and patience. So Jesus... None of us are better than you. None of us are better than you. You're you're the greatest. And you are a God who does small things slowly over a long period of time. And you're patient with us. And you build things piece by piece with us. You build us piece by piece. God, you're a good father over us. You never ever bark out instructions or orders to us to do something that you don't do. So got to pray that, that moms, I pray that all of us would revel in this tender, delicate, detailed care that you have of us and give that out to our children and other people's children and each other. Amen.